Well, hello, Clive to Carl with Spencer Feldman again. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic because so many people have gone to hospital and have accidentally got poisoned with the contrast dyes. So, Spencer, what are we going to do about this? Yeah, so this is a little bit crazy. Um, there, there's a when someone goes to get an MRI and there's you know forty million I think done in the U.S. every year. Um, they are often given a contrast agent. They inject a heavy metal called gadolidium in because it makes the it increases the contrast in the MRI and makes it easier for the radiologist to read. What I think that they don't didn't understand or didn't understand until recently is gadolinium is extremely toxic and a lot of people are getting sick on that. Uh, so I want to talk about that, but I also want to kind of give an overview of what to do for the whole class of metals that are there at the bottom of the periodic chart, uh, table of elements. So let's um, let's take a look at the uh, four, you know four classes of toxic metals. Okay, so um, the first would be things like aluminum, nickel, arsenic, cadmium, barium, lead. Um, EDTA is really good for these. It, the way I would basically do it, let me try this differently. Uh, maybe you could um, put up an image of the periodic chart for the uh, for your viewers to look at. And if you kind of look at where Mercury is, anything above Mercury, anything smaller than Mercury, EDTA is my chelator of choice, right? And anything from Mercury down, well, the problem is these are big atoms, and the Classic chelators can't make a really good grab on them. EDTA, if it tries to grab on it, it kind of grabs it a little bit, but not completely. And the problem is when you try to chelate out a big atom with a small chelator is you can grab onto it for a little while, uh, but then it can get knocked off and it can get knocked off in a worse place. And we see this classically with um, mercury. So, for instance, let's say someone has some mercury in their body, they ate a lot of fish or had two different kinds of fillings in their mouth, had a galvanic current going and the mercury went into, went into them, or maybe they you know, broke a bunch of fluorescent tubes or whatever. Um, and so now there's mercury in them. And if they take a smaller chelator to grab on, it can grab onto the mercury, but then the mercury can, it can, can get knocked off. And so if the mercury started someplace relatively innocuous, let's say the fat in their abdomen, right? The body sequestered it away from all the internal organs. And now the chelator grabs it and, and pulls it into general circulation. But before it can get urinated out, it gets knocked off by something else and maybe redistributes in the brain. Now you've made the client, the, the client's been put in a worse situation. Another aspect of it is if you don't fully wrap around a toxic metal, then even on its way out, it can cause damage. It can rip things up. So you really want to wrap completely around these toxic metals. So for things like mercury and, and downwards, we want something bigger than EDTA. And it turns out there is something bigger than EDTA um, that's very much like EDTA. Uh, it's called uh, DOTA. And it's like it's like the, the stretched LUMO version of EDTA. It's like the same molecule, but it's been stretched out a little bit and made bigger. Uh, now, why is this important? Because one third of the... Um, uh, MRIs that are given to people statistically 
have contrast agents like gadolinium, which you'll see is there at the bottom. And six of the seven gadolinium compounds are known to release gadolinium back into the patient. So there's there's seven different drugs that have gadolinium that are used as contrast agents. And only one of them, I, I wouldn't use any of them, but if you had to use one, there's only one that's safer, safer, okay? Um, so let me, let me educate you a little bit more about chelators. Um, there's four things to know about a chelator. It's the shape of the chelator, the type of chemical bond, the number of bonds it makes, and the size of the chelator. Now, in terms of shape, you have either linear or macrocyclic. Linear are like ribbons, so they try to. A linear chelator will wrap itself around something, um, whereas a, a, a macrocyclic is something that will en engulf something, um, more like a claw than a ribbon. Uh, the ribbons are always the wrong way to go. Linear chelators are a bad idea they, unless you, you're trying to get something to release into the body. And then that's perfect. But if you're trying to get something out of the body, you want a macrocyclic chelator, not a linear chelator. Um, and in terms of bonds, you've got what's either be called ionic or non-ionic. Ionic bonds are more stable than the non-ionic bonds. And then in terms of the number of bonds, uh, the coordinate number, the more bonds, the better. The more bonds you can attach because that means it's, it's more stable and there's less of that metal to react on the way out. And then in terms of size, we want something physically big enough to get around it. And when, when we're talking about stability, so think of it this way. Um, when a chelator hits an element, there's a sort of like a, there's an ex exothermic reaction. Energy is released in the process of it grabbing onto something. Now, for it to be knocked off again, you have to put in more energy than it, than it gave off, right, um, for, the, uh, for your viewers to look at. And if you kind of look at where mercury is, anything above mercury, anything smaller than mercury, EDTA is my chelator of choice, right? And anything from mercury down, well, the problem is these are big atoms. And the classic chelators can't make a really good grab on them. EDTA, if it tries to grab on it, it kind of grabs it a little bit, but not completely. And the problem is when you try to chelate out a big atom with a small chelator is you can grab onto it for a little while, uh, but then it can get knocked off and it can get knocked off in a worse place. And we see this classically with um, mercury. So for instance, let's say someone has some mercury in their body. They ate a lot of fish or had two different kinds of fillings in their mouth, had a galvanic current going and the mercury went, in, went into them, or maybe they you know, broke a bunch of fluorescent tubes or whatever. Um, and so now there's mercury in them. And if they take a smaller chelator to grab on, it can grab onto the mercury, but then the mercury can, it can, can get knocked off. And so if the mercury started someplace relatively innocuous, let's say the fat in their abdomen, right? The body sequestered it away from all the internal organs. And now the chelator grabs it and, and pulls it into general circulation. But before it can get urinated out, it gets knocked off by something else and maybe redistributes in the brain. Now you've made the client, the, the client's been put in a worse situation. Another aspect of it is if you don't fully wrap around a toxic metal, then even on its way out, it can cause damage. It can rip things up. So you really want to wrap completely around these toxic metals. So for things like mercury and, and downwards, we want something bigger than EDTA. And it turns out there is something bigger than EDTA. Um, that's very much like EDTA, 
Uh, it's called uh, DOTA. And it's like it's like the, the stretch LUMO version of EDTA. It's like the same molecule, but it's been stretched out a little bit and made bigger. Uh, now, why is this important? Because one third of the um, uh, MRIs that are given to people statistically have contrast agents like gadolidium, which you'll see is there at the bottom. And six of the seven gadolidium compounds are known to release gadolidium back into the patient. So there's there's seven different drugs that have gadolidium that are used as contrast agents. And only one of them, I, I wouldn't use any of them, but if you had to use one, there's only one that's safe, fur, safer, okay? Um, so let me, let me educate you a little bit more about chelators. Um, there's four things to know about a chelator. It's the shape of the chelator, the type of chemical bond, the number of bonds it makes, and the size of the chelator. Now, in terms of shape, you have either linear or macrocyclic. Linear are like ribbons. So they try to, a linear chelator will wrap itself around something. Um, whereas a, a, a macrocyclic is something that will en engulf something, um, more like a claw than a ribbon. Uh, the ribbons are always the wrong way to go. Linear chelators are a bad idea. They, unless you, you're trying to get something to release into the body, and then that's perfect. But if you're trying to get something out of the body, you want a macrocyclic chelator, not a linear chelator. Um, and in terms of bonds, you've got what's either be called ionic or non-ionic. Ionic bonds are more stable than the non-ionic bonds. And then in terms of the number of bonds, uh, the coordinate number, the more bonds, the better. The more bonds you can attach because that means it's, it's more stable and there's less of that metal to react on the way out. And then in terms of size, we want something physically big enough to get around it. And when, when we're talking about stability, so think of it this way. Um, when a chelator hits an element, there's a sort of like a, there's an ex exothermic reaction. Energy is released in the process of it grabbing onto something. Now, for it to be knocked off again, you have to put in more energy than it, than it gave off, right? Um, so you want something where the amount of energy that is released when that chelator grabs onto something is really big. So it takes an enormous amount of energy to knock it off again. That's what makes it very stable. Okay. So in the case of the gadolidium contrast agents, there's only one contrast agent that is ionic and a macrocyclic. And that means six out of the seven, they can release, and even that one can release gadolidium, but it's less likely to. There's six out of uh, the seven uh, contrast agents are very likely to release some degree of gadolidium into the patient. Now, this is more, even more of a problem if the patient has weak kidney function, meaning it stays around longer before it's filtered out, or if they ate or drank something with phosphorus in it, like a soft drink, sodas have phosphoric acid or uh, you know, rye bread, because what happens is the phosphorus can displace the gadolinium three times faster than without. So, I mean, you know, a hospital, if, if, you know, if you go to a hospital and get have to get a contrast agent, ask for the DOTA gadolidium and make sure you don't have any phosphorus in your system when you do it. Um, but gadolidium isn't, you know, all right, so gadolidium is known to cause a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, let me see, uh, you've got, you know, digestive problems, headaches, brain fog, loss of intelligence, hearing and eye problems pain, itching, burning, tingling, pricking, deep uh, pain, deep bone pain, pain in the extremities, pain where the in contrast agent was injected, um, skin, a lot of skin issues like tight, itchy, pigmented skin, feelings like 
of electrified or vibrating or twitching feelings or feeling like something's crawling under your skin, uh, muscle twitching, um, ear, nose, and throat stuff, tinnitus, swallowing, voice problems, body temperature issues, hair loss, balance problems, swelling. It's huge. I mean, you know, if you, what got me to make a product for this, Clive, is I watched a, a video on people with gadolidium poisoning because I, I'd been in contact with people with gadolidium poisoning in the past. And I'm always like, hey, you know, um, it's not something I really understand how to work on. And then one day, you know, someone said, well, please, because this is this is really horrific. So I, I went online and I watched a YouTube video, Clive, of some people who had gadolidium deposition disease. And boy, these people are really in a, in a, in a world of hurt. So I, I had to do something. Um, I mean, gadolidium isn't actually the only one that's out there that's a problem. Um, there's people that have uranium in their drinking water. Um, there's a lot of metals that are down there. And if you get a hair mineral or a mineral analysis, um, you sometimes it'll just show up as uranium because the analyses can't distinguish between uranium and, and gadolinium and all of those uh, uh, elements at the bottom. So just if you get a test that says, oh, you don't have any gadolinium, well, you might. It just might be that test might not be sensitive to pick it up. Um, you know, thorium, all of these things. Um, there's a lot of toxic elements at the bottom of the chart that we're exposed to. Um, lanthanum is found in swimming pools and drinking water. Cerium is found in flints and lighters and self-cleaning ovens and catalytic converters. Um, samarium is found in recycled plastic. Dysprosium is found in wind turbines, electric cars. Erbium is found in sunglasses and cheap jewelry. Ytterbium is in stainless steel cookware. Ludium is in gasoline and diesel. So, you know, some of these things have been around for a while. Some of them are uh, an artifact of the uh, the smart technology we have with, you know, wind turbines and lithium batteries and, you know, hybrid cars and stuff. So, again, what do we want? We want to chelate. If we're going to try to chelate this stuff out um, from mercury on down, remember, we want it to be macrocylic. That, that's a claw, not a ribbon. You know, we want ionic. And we want a large number of coordinate bonds. And again, the, the one you would want for this is called DOTA. It's macrocylic. It makes ionic bonds, and it has eight um, makes ionic bonds, and it has eight different coordinate bonds. So it's definitely big enough to wrap around these things. Uh, we have a product called Captimate. It's uh, got DOTA in a liposomal form because, like any chelator, uh, or like a lot of chelators. Um, if you eat them, if you take them orally, they'll get destroyed. So uh, if you think that you're dealing with some gadolinium or uh, mercury or some of the things at the bottom of the chart, uh, DOTA is definitely something you might want to consider. Well, that's very interesting. Um, I'm aware that certain of the contrast agents are radioactive and the doctors will tell the patients usually after they've given it oh by the way don't go near young children for at least 24 hours wow insane that's, i don't know what to say i mean i i guess that's good that they're warning them but maybe they should have but they should have been given you know um conformed consent ahead of time that that's mm -hmm. what that was Exactly. The reason I know this is it happened to me. When when they thought I was dying 38 years ago, they, I don't know, I shouldn't have allowed them to even do it, but they gave me a test 
Uh, and that's what they told me afterwards. Don't go near small children for 24 hours. Wow. Okay, then. Explains a right. lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, a, a lot of us got into alternative medicine because we were injured by traditional medicine. Yes, and exactly. That's my wanted... case. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you like my, you and I, that was both of our experiences. We got injured. We wanted to understand what happened, and we wanted to protect others from the same outcome. Quite so. Well, that's brilliant. And uh, such important information. I wonder what percentage of the population get an MRI. Well, you know, I think in the U.S. it's 40 million per year. And so that's one sixth of the U.S. population, one seventh every year. It's, it's, that's outrageous. Yeah. I mean, MRIs are, are great technology, right? If without, if, you know, I mean, think of it. It's non-invasive and you can completely look inside the body. That's fantastic. And, you know, let's let's come up with some better, some better um, chelating agents. Or at the least, let's identify who by blood work has high phosphorus and weak kidney function. And maybe these people are the higher risk. And let's give them the right the right kind of contrast agent, and let's dose them pre, post, and during to make sure that any of that gadolinium that gets knocked off into their tissue is immediately mopped up, right? I mean, I, th I think that there is, if you have to do it, there's an intelligent way to do it. I just don't think it's being done now. And if anybody's interested, um, all they've got to do is look at my website, clivetocarl.com, and they'll find Spencer's wonderful products under the names that he's suggested. And there are several of them, all of them, well, incredibly important. So thank you. Thank you very much, Spencer. Yeah, you know, it's um, every morning I take one uh, oral uh, one oral EDTA liposome and one of the DOTA liposome. I just do that. That's like my morning, my morning ritual. I wake up in the morning, I take one of each. And I, I like to think, Clive, that um, uh, I live in a pretty deep, you know, non-toxic manner. Um, you know, I live on the top of a mountain in a hundred acre, a thousand acres. I eat organically, but you know, I, I did a hair analysis and I found that I was loaded with aluminum. I have, I have no idea where it came from. Was it uh, maybe there, there's aluminum in the grinding plates for when I grind my flour? Maybe it's from chemtrails. But I, I'm at a loss, and I, I realize that you know even with all the best intentions and everything that I'm doing, if I'm still showing up high on toxic, some toxic metals, um, I just need to make it part of my lifestyle. I'm like, okay, well, this it's part of my, it's part of breakfast. Now we were speaking. So I'm going to edit this into the previous video. Uh, we were speaking about testing. How, how do you know when a lab is good at doing the tests is there any good way to tell well if you see a lab that is just doing uranium then all of those things are probably going to get labeled under uranium the whole class of uh, lanthanides and such um, if you see a test and it specifies out this is uranium this is gadolinium this is thorium this is well now you know that they have the sophistication to be able to selectively pull one out of at a time but on the other hand, you know, if they're just testing for uranium, if it shows up high, you're going to do the same thing. You may not know which element it actually is, but you know it's something in that uranium range. So I mean, that's still good enough. But if you want to really be specific, like, hey, 
is this gadolinium? Oh, it is. Okay. When has my gadolinium gone down? Is the gadolinium specifically coming down? Great. Then you want to be able to pull those out individually. That actually wasn't the question I meant. I was referring to the previous video about food intolerances. Oh, I see. Um, so how do you know if a food intolerance company is uh, a good company? Um, I, that's a good question. I suppose uh, you'd just have to do your research and, you know, ask some clinicians in the area uh, who has good reproducible results. I mean, basically when you, you know, the way you would test things like this is um, you would uh, send them three identical samples and see if they all come back the same. And that would tell you that they're, con they're consistent. Um, that doesn't necessarily tell you if you're getting false positives or false negatives. But I think the technology has been around long enough that um, unless it's a really fly-by-night company, if they've been around for you know a good three, four, or five years, uh, I'm not I'm not overly concerned that this is so hard that they can't figure it out.